All right, all right, all Ooh. right. We are back. Episode two of Q4. What's up, y'all? Elliot Lane, Javier Haas here with Benzinga's Cannabis Insider. Thrilled to, to be here today with, honestly, somebody that I, I'm just super interested in because we have a lot Ooh. of different perspectives in one person. And I cannot wait to dive in with Paul Weiss, uh, one of the headmen over at Paper Planes, a phenomenal concentrate brand out on the West Coast. With that said, though, know, wise and, well, not just on the West Coast, I should say, uh, in the U.S., yeah, wise guy. Uh, nice. Um, so with that said, let's get started. But we're going to come back hot and heavy with some awesome headlines for you guys today. Malia, let's get it going. No, it's short. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Malia said not today. Uh, we're not doing the intro. Okay. Well, so Javier, coffee in there. You're not sipping on whiskey at like 1 p.m. You know, that's fair. At least it wasn't like me like ripping a bong. Although that would be okay on the show, I think, actually. Oh, yeah. um, Javi, I got to start with this, man. Just let, give me the indulgence. You are the news guy here, but I got I to gotta understand about this. <laughs> So I'm reading one of our headlines on the Benzinga app. If you if you download the Benzinga app, you scroll over to the cannabis news feed. It's just phenomenal. It's just an infinite scroll of cannabis news. Everything you need to know in the space. I love it. Javier, you and your team do an amazing job on that. The first thing I read, Nevis Brands, in partnership with Blaze Holdings, launches a THC beverage in, Calif in California, five flavors, right? So all that is wonderful. I love that product launch. Here's what caught my eye. Mm -hmm. It is a 100 milligram THC beverage. How, what's the format? I, that's, I mean, I didn't see it. I mean, is it a two liter? Even so, <laughs> like, I'm good with like a two and a half universe. milligram, like, seltzer. Like, that doesn't seem like social drinking to I me. Went, That's like, I let's get out immediately. Give, yeah, give me that I mean, one more. guys, give me some, give me some thoughts there. A hundred milligram THC beverage. Obviously it's probably not going to be in like just a can. Otherwise that's straight oil. Right. I don't know. Um, I, I want to see this now. What, <laughs> what are name? they selling? Give, give me a name. Give me an end. What, what's the name? Uh, Nevis brands. It's major, uh, something major uh, product. Um, scrolling right. up new THC beverage to hit shelves in the golden state. Uh, Nevis brands. Major, yeah, it's just major, M-A-J-O-R. So it's a dosable 100 milligram beverage. Oh, is it um, one of those like squeeze things? Is that why I'm I mean, freaking I'd out over here? I it's like a, some kind of mixer or something. Okay. Otherwise, that makes me feel better. Regardless, like, was dying yeah, earlier. No, it's, just it's thinking not, of like this, not, like, it's like a bottle, it's like a little milkshake bottle. of a of a beverage. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we should ask for it and see if we can get a product uh, review from Javier live on the show. Well, we need to go to California. You know, <laughs> the product cannot cross Talking about beverages, a Benzinga exclusive. Uncle Bud's and Chelsea B Drugstore unveiled a new hemp wellness drink. Very cool. There's another one. Marine we Collagen and Hemp Beverages. As a reminder, Uncle Bud's has partnered with uh, great names, I believe, like Magic Johnson, Jane Fonda. We talked about this on Tuesday with Wink, uh, with WH Beverage Company. Uh, there is a rise in Delta 9 hemp uh, THC beverages. Uh, and here's another one. Uh, I don't think it's going away, man. I really don't. I, I think this product category is about to roll out to stay. It'll obviously have to change a little bit, but uh, I mean, I understand if you're bullish on it. Oh, you went out. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. 
All right. Well, you got my voice. Might okay. just not have my pretty face today. Um, but I, I don't know. Javi, what do you think? Do you think it's a category that's here to stay? Oh, yeah. I mean, what you know, remember what we we're discussing, that the fact that, that Delta 9 can be sold in regular drugstores makes a big difference, right? Like just walking into a drugstore and being able to to buy a beverage changes everything. You you get a very different audience than the ones, uh, the people who go to a dispensary, for instance, right? And the convenience is is, is enormous, right? I can't mm -hmm. wait to till we see the, the day where all cannabis beverages are sold in a drugstore. You know, speaking of hemp, dude, why CBD, CBDMD, why CBD on is the NICE um, or yeah. NASDAQ? I'm one of the two. NICE. They're they're investable to US investors. Yeah. Um, having a day. <laughs> having a day. Maxim Group initiates coverage on, on YCBD. Uh, and YCBD forms the first ever partnership directly with a FIFA affiliated Costa Rican yeah. soccer team. Club Sport Herediano, if you're Thank interested. Thank you, I wasn't going to try. <laughs> <laughs> That's but what I'm I, here for. Having a day, they're up um, almost 3% today, and I think rightfully so. Mm -hmm. Finally, some, some fundamentals actually playing fundamentally <laughs> into the space. Um, but Javier, let's do a quick rapid fire, man. Um, I, you probably have a little bit more knowledge on this than me, but Last Prisoner Project... Yep. released a state-by-state -state success rating for how these different markets are doing when it comes to criminal justice. Minnesota, yep. <laughs> Minnesota and California are leading, leading the, the way. Yeah. And there are 19 states that are Ds or lower. Yeah. I mean, uh, so D plus we have, a, so like the D minus is a, the, the most terrible. It's Arkansas, Mississippi, Ohio. Ohio, that is interesting. Texas, Kentucky, North Carolina, Tennessee, Georgia, and Kansas. Uh, I'm surprised to see Ohio in there, but you know we, we might see some change after the elections. Uh, Pennsylvania was surprising yeah. to me too. Yeah, and then some of the, the the ones that are doing well are New Mexico, New York, and Maryland with B plus scores, and a clear B uh, with Missouri, Nevada, Washington, and Montana. Go to benzinga.com/cannabis after the show and check out the full list that Last Prisoner Project put out and. If you want to support their work, go to lastprisonerproject.com. They do amazing work to help incarcerated and formerly incarcerated people for nonviolent cannabis offenses. If you're interested in more about this on social justice, also check out the uh, Weldon Angelo's Mission Green, another a great organization doing a, a, a similar, you know, under a similar mission. Uh, they have both partnered with Benzinga during Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conferences, and, and we love them and support them, uh, and we think you should too. We offer 3% of our ticket sales to Mission Green every event. Wow. Um, yeah, I don't know if we've ever announced number. that on here, but... Um, <laughs> that's a we, big number. I know how many tickets we sold, so that's that's some good money there. Yeah, no, Weldon Angelos is, is worth it, and he, honestly, he has some really cool partnerships that are about to be announced that... Um, him and his, his, uh, partner, Todd Harrison, not in well, mission green, but Todd Harrison at CB1 capital is very supportive, uh, of Weldon. Uh, and they, I, I think had some success while they were in yeah. Chicago is what I'll say. Um, Utherex UY. Hi guys. Have you done an in-depth analysis on the rescheduling subject in depth? No, I like the idea. Oh wait. Yes, we have. We have done a webinar with David trailer, uh, with, um, the national cannabis Roundtable and liaison group. Um, we had, uh, several really cool thought leaders on that. You can find it on this channel. Um, maybe Malia, our producer can drop it in the chat. That was phenomenal. I will point this out. We don't have to stay on it too long because I really do want to get to our interview here shortly. 
But if you look at what's happening in the markets right now, um, I really think retail investors and investors in general are trading on safer. They're trading on um, the possibility of safer. They're not trading on rescheduling right now. And I think rescheduling has a is a stickier point. Uh, and honestly, it's more valuable, right? Well, you we, know, for we these have a lot of companies. content on Safer coming up on Benzinga, exclusive mm -hmm. from the Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference, which took place in Chicago last week. We're already selling tickets for our next conference in Hollywood, April 16th and 17th. Go to bzcannabis.com to learn more. We spoke about Safer with every executive in the industry, with Earl Palmer, with Corey Gartner, just an insane lineup. Stay tuned, Benzinga.com slash cannabis. Yeah. Let's do some more news real quick and get to it. Do it. Yes. Rapid fire. High Times has settled SEC allegations, paying a fine that exceeds half a million dollars. Uh, they they were uh, uh, there, there were allegations of an illicit promotion scheme, but this was settled with the SEC, and now the company seems poised to debut on the Nasdaq along with Lucy Scientific. We also had news. Um, what else do we have that is interesting? I think you did one more. Just uh, the Air Force granting three times more cannabis waivers than expected and still missing its recruiting goals. Um, it, that is interesting to see, right? Like e even going like, yeah, we, we don't care if you used to use weed. They're still not able to recruit. Uh, I mean, but like there's probably so much more context to that. I love the cannabis space, but that's not the end all be all as to why they oh, missed no. their recruiting goals. Mm. Right. Um, that, you know, I, I mean, good for them. Continue on that trajectory. But I think there's probably a more uh, systemic issue that they're probably addressing. Oh, yeah. And that is it for us today on the news front. Let's bring up our guest, Paul Wise. You want to introduce him? Dead. Dead. Malia said we already did it. We already introduced him. Paul <laughs> Wise, welcome into Benzinga's Cannabis Insider. How are you? Great to be here, guys. Ah, thrilled you. to have you, man. You were with us in Chicago. Give us a sense of what you thought, man. Yeah, I you mean, want to repeat that praise that you were, <laughs> that you were giving us? No, I'm not paying him to say mind. anything, but I do. You know, I think for somebody who is competing for market share, and I think doing it successfully as maybe not a household name quite yet. What are your thoughts on the space, at least from your reactions from last week? Well, let me start by unpacking that first question about what did I think of the conference. Um, there was a very different tone to how people were characterizing the industry. Um, the last two years, I think most of the conferences have been talking about the deep, dark winter that the industry has been in. And that may not be the case for all of us. Some of us are managing to do okay in this environment, but it's been a very difficult time. And uh, what you're really seeing is the big funds are talking about their funding sources are coming in and starting to put more money to work, which then will trickle down because then they'll be able to deploy and disperse into other companies. Um, the SAFE Act combined with the rescheduling possibility, there's a consensus that that's going to be out there for some time. Mm -hmm. But that's how it starts. It starts with, okay, 12 months, 24 months, there may be a catalyst. You want to, you know, buy on the rumor, sell on the news. You want to get involved. And um, I would say if, if I have to sum it up in one line, I, I think the industry is off its back foot. Um, it felt it. It felt like there was a forward tilt. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was a great conference. And that actually dovetails into the second part of what you asked me, which is, you know, what about the industry in general? I do think the industry itself is shed a lot of fat 
it shed a lot of waste um, mm -hmm. companies that shouldn't have been in the space or that were using productive capital poorly or, or have been rationalized and they're, they're kind of elbowed out. And, you know, the knife fighters like us are left and we're um, continuing to build and sell and stay, you know, self-sufficient. And uh, actually, I think that the industry is poised for the existing companies to do really well. Um, and I could go on and on about that, but that's that's in summary how I see it. Mm. Tell us a little bit about paper planes and, and why you get into concentrate specifically. Why why uh, why a focus on this specific part of the industry? Well, that's a great question. Paper planes is a twelve year old legacy brand here in California, um, known for being the tastiest, terpiest, uh, BHO driven live resin products for a long time. Dabable. We're now pretty strong present in vape carts as well as cured and other types of uh, oil-based infused products or just dabable products. Um, Concentrates was a passion of our founder, Carter Latimer, a dozen years ago. He's one of those guys that was a foundational person in the industry. He's, you know, in the back of a barn with a blowtorch and a beaker, you know, doing his thing. <laughs> well, obviously, we run a pretty sophisticated million-dollar situation now, our rig, but um, he was part of that group of people from the Sacramento area that just really understood the plant and wanted more from it and were intellectually captivated by extraction. Um, I, I'm the only non-legacy type person on our executive team, but they've all come into this with a deep love for the plant and drawn to extraction because they wanted more and more from the plant. And the company was built on that. And our reputation has always been to have the best quality products at very good prices. And um, that formula has driven us through what was, as I mentioned, the dark winter. And it seems that um, we're now really poised to continue to earn more and more market share. We are diversifying our menu and doing all the right things. We this year uh, added several farms in Grass Valley to our company's portfolio of holdings. So. We're not quite vertically integrated yet, but we're starting. Uh, we're going to introduce our line of packaged branded flour uh, this year in a small way from our harvest and next year in a bigger way. Yeah. You know, Paul, after the conference last week, you know, one thing that I see a lot and you know, the, the bigger you get, the uh, the more interesting the reaction is uh, to a big group of people getting together, right? Um, <laughs> but there's a lot of people that were like, that wasn't as chatty or like C-H-A-D, wasn't as much of a Chad fest as it has been before. And I bring that up because you yourself came into the space uh, from the investment, the money uh, perspective standpoint, right? But you've, you've landed at a place where culture and, and the meaning of passion for the plant persists in a very strong way. Can you give me a sense in terms of how necessary both sides are to the growth of the business of paper planes from the business, the money, the the, uh, the corporate standpoint, maybe the growth of the industry? We'll get to the M&A side as well. Um, but then also how you keep the quality, how you keep uh, the true meaning uh, of what you're doing and, and you know, really the consumer relationship. That's a great question. I think, Elliot, that's the core question. Um, you need to have corporate governance, access to capital on the business side. You need to have high quality product, stringent SOPs, and you know great legacy people driving the product on the product side. And 
it's almost impossible to find one person that comes from both of those backgrounds. Um, and uh, my partner and I understood that. We took a year or two getting to know each other before we decided to put some real money to work and buy a facility and start you know, developing the brand and scaling it up. And um, it's a critical marriage. Uh, the reason probably is drawn because yeah, you can do a two or three million dollar business out of your pocket, maybe four or five million dollars. But as you start to need to invest in inventory, as you start to need to really do things that are capital intensive, you have to get partners, you have to get investors and you have to have a company worthy of that. Otherwise, it'll fail catastrophically for a bunch of different reasons. The flip side of that is as you convince investors and a good investment person could convince an investor to buy you know, sand in the desert if they needed to. But if you actually have a really good company that you're going to scale up and you can execute, the two work together beautifully. And then you build a momentum up. So you saw a lot of companies fail in the last few years that had too much of one or too much of the other. The, you know, the money coming in, oh, this is easy to do. Just put up a lab, make some oil and make a million dollars or grow a bunch of weed and sell it, which is obviously ridiculous. We could have a whole show on that. And the other side is, yeah, I make the best damn product in the world and doesn't matter about the money side. I'm just going to sell it like I've been doing and they'll fail. It's the combination. It's critical. I have two relatively funny questions. One is from the chat from our good friend, Guapotron, who always wonder if the paper planes brand was inspired by the Mario related paper planes. I have fond memories of my college boys getting way into the simple paper planes minigame in Mario Party. Well, actually, it's a vernacular for a joint uh, going back. It's not quite as creative or esoteric as that. So um, it came. I did from, not know that. that. Yeah, yeah, paper plane. So it came from from that. And Still a great vision. Yeah, the other one is you're you're growing in in grass and uh, grass valley. It's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the, the name is just perfect. Did you pick it just for the name? Like, what's up with grass valley? Right? What, what's special about grass valley? I choose this location of all the California locations out there. It is a funny name. Actually, Carter was born and raised in Grass Valley. It's just you can't make that up. Um, Predestined to work here. It's like so, the case. So, so you ask yourself the question, why do the greatest wines come out of Napa or other areas? And the answer is that there's microclimates that determine how plants react to or trees or plants react to different temperature changes, um, humidity changes. All There's so many metrics that go into it. Um, Grass Valley because of where it's located just at the edge of the mountains heading out to Tahoe and all the rest is the perfect microclimate. Our farms, and we have several, are all at about a similar altitude uh, right near the snow line, but just below all these different metrics that go into it to make sure that the absolute best flower can be grown there. And it makes a huge difference. It's like saying, well, why not just grow wines here in Sacramento? It's just it's not gonna work. But um, same thing for, for that. So when you see concentrations of grow that are not indoor, because you, you, know, you can do indoor anywhere, but if you're going to have light deprivation greenhouse or outdoor, which is what we do, um, the microclimate's critical. That's, it, I, I might be shifting topic here a little bit, but it's interesting to me that um, you also grow. Well, you know, thinking of brands, right? You know, a lot of brands in the space are asset light. Um, you all, you know, you have grows, you have, um, you know, the ability to control more of your supply chain. Is that something you intend to take into other states? Is that, are you looking to expand that? Are you going to take a state by state approach? Um, how are you going to look at assets? Well, you know, the Hippocratic oath first do no harm. So we've been looking at this market for two years. Mm -hmm. 
trying not to make any self-inflicted wounds, stretch too thin, make commitments that we can't keep. You know, trust is the coin of the realm in this business. And you don't want to start partnerships and then say, oh, by the way, I can't shift your packaging because I can't afford it right now. So we've been very, very careful. I know a lot of other companies have successfully expanded. A lot of companies have unsuccessfully expanded. And we tend mm -hmm. to focus on in bad times, let's survive and prosper a bit. So in good times, we could really drive the accelerator, which is actually what we're doing in the now. But um, as far as other states go, it's a very complicated issue because while they're licensing deals that we're looking at, which would be low CapEx, basically you're just shipping out packaging and um, they're doing the rest and you're taking a percentage of the top line. Um, there's a commitment of staff to go out every month. There's a commitment of some economics. And uh, we're, we, we have one company uh, that we signed a deal with that we're probably gonna work with, but in, in one state, I would say it's a 2024 issue for us. This is not me saying that multi-state or licensing is a negative. We think it's a massive positive. We want to do it, but we're very, very careful on how we deploy our very precious capital. Until capital is right. abundant and the cost of it goes down a bit, we're going to be very careful what we do with our expansion plans. Talking about the Hippoc Hippocratic Oath and doing no harm, right? One of the, the things that, that happened a few years ago related to, to vape cartridges and, and vitamin E. Uh, and, and of course people, you know, it, it lingers in, in, in people's minds, right? Like are, are vapes safe, right? How do you ensure your, your, your products are fully safe? They don't contain anything that might harm people, right? Like reassure us a little bit. <laughs> well, I could tell you that the vitamin E acetate stretching that they did for the oil was, was very, very specifically focused on one group, but particularly it was a very black market thing that happened. People rail about how regulation is so difficult. You know, there's two sides to every coin. And yeah, it's very overburdensome. We, it's very expensive for us to deal with it. But I can tell you what, if you go into a, a dispensary chain that's credible, you are buying tested stuff multiple, multiple times. I mean, uh -huh. the flour has to be tested before we can put it into our extraction machines to make oil. Our oil has got to be tested before we can send it to distro. The distro has to retest it before they can send it to the dispensaries. And that's the seed to sale multi-test environment. If there's pesticides, if there's impurities, believe me, you'll know. These labels and dispensaries are very real. And that question should be asked often because why spend twice as much or some percentage more on white market dispensary products when you can go around the corner to a pop-up and buy something cheap? Because you don't know what you're ingesting. It's like being at a concert and someone just hands you something and here, take that. I mean, what the hell is this? So, you know, it's the same environment. And what's really interesting, Javier, is that as prices are compressing, and they are definitely compressing, um, there's a narrowing of the spread between black market and white market. So for the minimal premium that you'd pay to go into it, and by the way, there's bug, buy one, get one freeze, all these different things that you can shop for in dispensaries. You should only buy what you inhale in your body, what you put into your brain, what you put into your system from a regulated, proper, healthy dispensary that you can trust, period, full stop. I, I don't think it's a complicated answer. Um, obviously, the stuff you get in the black market, you know, is probably, you know, similar in some ways, but there's no way to know. Can you now, I know we kind of answered this a little bit uh, with the expansion question, but one thing that I think you do focus on, if I'm not mistaken, is M&A for, uh, for your brand. What does that mean to you guys? What, what are you looking for 
you know, when it comes to M&A, I mean, what would it take? Would it be another brand? Uh, are you looking for complementary assets or, or both? The first thing we've done three deals, which is not very many in the last two years. Other companies have done a dozen or two dozen. You know, the big Some MSO. too many. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of the MSOs are selling us their unwanted assets. <laughs> because, of But um, there's one key consideration that every company will tell you right now. It needs to be accretive. There's no strategic deals happening where, you know, I'm going to buy some, not real estate in terms of land, but real estate in terms of market exposure. I'm going to buy some real estate exposure to this part of the industry because it rounds out my complexion as a company. Uh, yeah. Capital is so precious and dear right now that when you're going to expend either customer or rather investors dilutive interests, or if you're going to use cash, which is less and less of, um, you need to make sure that your runway is short, not expensive, and you're quickly bringing in money quickly. So m and mm -hmm. has got to be accretive. Um, that actually works for a lot of the bigger companies because they're taking these uh, dispensary uh, companies and chains or even individual shops. It's super, super cheap multiples because they can't keep up with the excise tax requirements and the capex required. On our side, uh, we'll definitely be looking to expand on our farms. We use our flour for, well, now we do some bulking out, but we use it principally for our brand and for extracting also our brand. Um, so for us, it's a way to control the strain and for us to do that. So M&A in that regard works for us also, but it's only because we need to do it. The, the vanity M&A market, which we had three years ago, has definitely been phased out. Maybe vanity M&A. By the way, when that comes back, we'll be for sale. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, yeah. I got um, one last one to close it up, right? It's like 12 years. It's quite the experience. So you, you actually got me beat on that one. I'm 10 years into this, which is a few people we have on our show go like, oh, yeah, I've been here for a longer time. Uh, give, give us a couple of, of mistakes that you've made along the way and certain things that you've done very right. Yeah, I could tell you the mistakes that everybody makes in cannabis right away is they believe the numbers that they think they know. I mean, hmm. it's, it's ridiculous. The idea that everything is twice as expensive and takes twice as long is understated. Um, that this is still a manufacturing or a cultivation or a brand business. This is not tech. You're not going to come into this thing and just, you know, watch your investment go 10x because the company just went to the moon. There's a few companies that do very well, very quickly, very few. The majority go belly up because of unrealistic expectations. And I could probably think of 10 things from there that, you know, which I, I won't list here because it would take too long, but they all flow from a less than perfect understanding of what this industry is and what this industry is not. Mm. Last point for me, I know Javi said that was his last question, but something did popped up, pop up to my mind, and that's uh, Pablo Zwanich's recent note uh, on state of California retail. Um, just being that it's crucial for success for dispensaries if they are not uh, in high-density counties uh, that have a ton of dispensaries. Do you find that to be true from a brand perspective of where your brand does the best uh, in terms of where it's sold? Do you, do you see those... Uh, dispensaries with less competition driving more sales to you? Wow. There's a non-intuitive answer to that. It's actually <laughs> a great question, Elliot. Um, we're actually having more trouble with the bigger chains that are in the bigger markets um, because they're struggling with their, their APs, which are RARs, which is a problem. 
And they're throwing so much price compression at us because they think that they can, that it makes them a less attractive place to deal with, even if the sell through is there. We've made a decision to diversify, really change quite radically. And, and it was in part driven by the herbal thing here in California, and it was in part driven by this compression issue. But we're definitely looking to have more um, smaller chains that we feel comfortable with their ability to pay versus just the large chains, which is the complete opposite of our strategy 18 months ago. And it goes wow. to show you how difficult cannabis is. You're constantly pivoting because this industry yeah. is constantly pivoting. And if you're not comfortable with change and dynamic decision-making, this is definitely the wrong space. <laughs> Agreed. With with all that said, Paul, any last things, uh, any last notes, any last words that you want our audience to know uh, and, and to be left with? Yeah, I, I, I think that this industry has definitely got its future ahead of it. Um, there's been a very difficult, challenging experience that we went through. But you look at all industries that have become large, and this is on its way to becoming a $40, $50 billion industry nationwide. The next few years are already about half that, which is huge. California is already a six or $5 billion industry. They all go through a period of rapid growth and stupid capital deployment. And then they have a period of rationalization and contraction. Internet saw it. I could list 10 others that have seen it. And once that happens, you have a core group of companies that have a decent understanding of the terrain. And then capital comes in more efficiently and a little bit more responsibly, and yeah. it's deployed more responsibly. We're now at that part of the curve. And I do think that the next 24 and 36 months, you're going to see a very different place. So what I would say is, I don't think these are dead cat bounces that you're seeing in the market. I think that these are real signals that the pain of the last 20, you know, don't be suckered in by living in the rearview mirror. You've got mm -hmm. to, you've really got to look at what is happening. And I am actually pretty bullish about it. Doesn't mean it's going to be an easy cakewalk or I'm going to wake up tomorrow and it's bluebirds and lemonade, but I think it's going to be a much better market going forward. Amen. Amen. Paul, phenomenal interview. Really great answers. Appreciate your insights. We've got to have you back. Love to get you back on around 2024, maybe hear how you're going to deal with some of this moving into that year. But that's a future Paul Weiss issue. Um, <laughs> all that said, thank you again for your time. CEO of Paper Planes. If you're in California, try them out. Phenomenal concentrate brand. Paul, appreciate your time today. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Paul. Javi, that was fun. That was fun. That was a good interview. Appreciate you. Oh, yeah. uh, Guapo Throne 4000, always my friend. Utherex, UY, UI. I just, I don't, you know, I don't know. Apologies if I butchered that, but appreciate you. Maybe both. from Uruguay. Is that it? Oh, maybe. It's a good point. Appreciate everybody that involves themselves in our chats. Take a listen. Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your podcasts, we are there. Uh, and we are booked out through the rest of the year. We have guests through the rest of the year, with the exception of holiday weeks here in the U.S. Uh, but Javi, always a pleasure, my friend. See you, bro. Peace. Peace. Nope. Okay. I can. <laughs>